1: Hi there, it's Jay Comfrey here. Welcome to this week's Premier League Tonight podcast. Joining me at the Etihad today to discuss all of the Premier League highs and lows, and as ever on Premier League Tonight, so much more than just today's football. It was Frank Lampard, Steve McManaman, and Rio Ferdinand. We're going to start by just reflecting on this game here, and we'll hear from Alex and Lee before we wrap up our conversation about City and Newcastle. <laughs> Hello, uh, Alex here, joined by Ruby making her BT Sport debut. <laughs> feeling
3: pretty good Feeling pretty good
1: Yeah we're feeling good <laughs> Manchester City winning 3-1 It was a bit touching go to start with. A little bit sketchy A little bit frustrating But you know what Sergio Aguero turning on Man of the match Performance with him Three goals You can't argue and showing everyone Why he's the man at this club And Leroy Sane oh, Tell me about Leroy Sane In three
3: years time Leroy Sane is
1: going to be talked about As one of the best players In the league We'll move on At least we don't play them again You know what I mean So, you know, Newcastle don't have a league game for quite a while now, and we're going to probably look at, hopefully get a body through the door. We know that Rafa Benitez has known for a while that the takeover is off, and hopefully we get one or two through the door and to prove this side. What did you make of... uh, Are you just bringing a drink into the studio? Are you bringing a cup of tea in there? Leo's just giving me... It was was a a little bit cold. Okay, you've been on the gantry for the last couple of hours, so I'll give you that. Um, Your thoughts on the City performance today?
0: I thought it was... um, I thought it was okay. I, I, I didn't... I wouldn't have... Gone overboard on them because um, it was that type of game. I thought they were a little bit sloppy at times, but it was just far too easy. I think when when it is really, really easy and you got that much possession, you'd always felt that they could step it up a gear if they wanted to. You know, if it got a little bit, a little bit close, they could yeah. just run away down the field and score another goal, which happened. I just thought it was a really easy game for them. I mean, thought it was quite boring, to be very honest. That's what it. Well done. No, just just because <laughs> they was just because they were so dominant. Now. I, I, at no stage did you ever think they were yeah. going to lose the game or draw the game. you always just thought that they'd win. And, you know, 80% possession, as you said before, I think says it all. I think it was nice. That is to tea you're drinking, is it? That's Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> That's like it.
1: Um, Newcastle, give us your thoughts on this situation. Because, you know, Rio points out Mike Ashley's sort of £250 million into that club. Yeah. But we believe the offer on the table from the Amanda Staveley consortium is of that kind of number. It seems Mike Ashley wants a bit more. He's saying it's a waste of time. She's saying the offer is still on the table. And the poor Newcastle fans, who, again, Mm. were hearing their numbers, they were hearing good voice. They do what they always do, home and away. Just left in limbo, really, aren't they? Left in limbo. Something has to happen here. And with 11 days left of the transfer window, it's, again, the worst possible timing for all this to be going on, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. You feel very sorry for them. Listen to the lads before. I I totally agree. They're a a great club. They're a great set of fans. Um, And... You know they're neither here nor there. You know that Mike Ashley's not going to spend a lot of money in the transfer window. Every player now is costing double what they what they did at the beginning of the season. Um, Rafa wants players. Uh, he needs a certain quality of uh, type of player with yeah. with, with a certain amount of quality, which is going to which going to take a lot of expense. It's um, you know it doesn't look as if the takeover is going to happen because normally if takeovers yeah. um, do happen, they, they're done nice and quick, aren't they? You know this has been a really protracted, long. Long-running uh, saga, which which hasn't done, and, and the closer it gets to the end of the season, and the, the you know if if Newcastle languishing near the bottom of the, the league, the takeover won't happen. Just in case they go down, you know, are they waiting for the new TV yeah. deal? Are they waiting for Newcastle to get it's relegated or actually. stay in the league? There's loads and loads of ifs and buts, and. Um, uh, it's, it looks as if it's going to keep on dragging out to the end of the season, which is a pity for the poor fans. Absolutely. OK, well, let's move on with the show then. Let's take a look at the headlines from today because it
1: was, once again, a cracking day in the Premier League. Gone in 780 seconds. New, um, Arsenal were three goals up uh, in a very short amount of time in that game against Crystal Palace. Blowing Crystal Palace away it was a difficult day for them today. Eden Cull's goals. You like that? Amazing. Yeah. I bet you liked it. Chelsea winning again. He
2: was fantastic. He was brilliant. Yeah, wasn't he? he was mm-hmm.
1: brilliant today. He played fantastically. Chelsea back to winning ways they needed that. And I think we've excelled ourselves there, silenced by the lamb. Paul Lambert doing the business, um, winning his first game in charge against Stoke City, much to a Robbie Savage's delight, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so congratulations. Uh, congratulations to Paul Lambert. But there was a nasty moment um, in today's football and all of us oh, here at yeah. BT Sport, we all send James McCarthy our very, very, very best wishes. It was a horrible incident, actually, that left Solomon Rondon um, in floods of tears. There's absolutely... No way that he's implicated in doing this on purpose. He went to shoot. Um, James McCarthy put his foot in the way of the ball and he sadly got um, a fractured, a compound fracture actually, of the tibia and the fibula. Um, look, the medical advances are at a point now where many years ago, David Boos, for example, you had an injury like this and it was hard to come back. But from Eduardo to Aaron Ramsey, Oviedo, you know, even to Seamus Coleman who went down and comforted his teammate today after that injury, you know, it's the
2: sort of thing that, yes, you're eight or nine months out, but the messages you come back and let's, let's, let's hope so. We um, don't know how well we know it's very bad. We don't know exactly in terms of the length of the recovery, but the hardest thing is mentally. We've all been there. I, never to that degree, I don't think any of us. But i remember been off for three or four months, and it, and it was so hard for me to, to accept. What's the, hard? Uh, you're not with your mates. You end up being slightly outcast you're in the medical room while they go out to train. You can't play in games, which we all want to do. You feel like you're not really contributing anything, and then you've got your own problems of trying to get, to get right. And uh, sometimes there is no light at the end of the tunnel. In your own head, there will be for him. We hope, and uh, he'll get the best treatment. Work hard, and hopefully, he's back.
1: We've spoken in the past, haven't we, about when you had your back injury at
3: United and you were kind of in and out of the team, but you weren't, you weren't as involved as previously, and you hated it. Yeah, you you just don't feel part of the makeup of the club during that period of time, and it's mentally, as Frank just mentioned, there is is so difficult to deal with at times, and you just need that support around the, the training ground at home. And the problem is, is that all your teammates will, will start to say because he was an integral member of that team is when you're back. When you're back and they're, they think they're, they're helping and being friendly so but sometimes that you sit that's the worst yeah. thing you want to hear because that's pressure when you're back you've got to give them a date and the date starts coming closer and closer you might have setbacks there could be infection there could be just general in, uh, uh, setbacks that happen and are normal with injuries and then they'll ask you again oh, a bit of a delay now it's, it's embarrassing your pride takes a bit of a knock so it's a long dark road coming back but he will see light at the end of the tunnel at some point, and, and I'm sure that'll be the, the incentive that he needs to keep pushing on in the right direction. And the key thing now for the medical advances, you know, he
1: will probably be at hospital already, they'll be yeah. operating. He, you know, he, no, you will not get better treatment than the Don't, treatment that he's now you know, going At the get. Premier
0: League level now, which is exceptional, isn't it? You know, you've got access to physios every single day, it'll be two or three times a day having treatments when, you know, when, he, when, he, when he can, of course. He's got teammates around him who have been through that situation, as you rightly said, Seamus Coleman. So, um, Let's hope he's back because it, yeah. it was an accident and sometimes the worst injuries are caused by accidental clashes like that, isn't it? And um, it didn't look very well at all.
1: And there was a, a message actually from Solomon Rondon, he said, I'm absolutely devastated. Rivalries are forgotten when a colleague suffers such an unlucky injury, which it was unlucky. Really hope to get you back playing again soon, Jay McCarthy, 16, hashtag get well soon, James. Well, let's get some reaction now from Everton fan and also from Sam Allardyce on the game.
2: Um, obviously, I have to send our thoughts and best wishes to James McCarthy.
0: Horrific. A horrific injury in a, a, a goal saving tackle to stop Rondon from scoring a goal was a really really horrible break as well uh, so our best wishes to him.
3: Double fracture, tib and fib. Um, I've or... I'm I'm, I'm no idea but obviously we'll do it as quick as we possibly can I think that not um, very really much depends on on the specialist or the surgeon that
4: uh, assesses him and say, as soon as he can but tib and fibs and broken because of his really brave efforts to stop West Brom with a possible scoring opportunity so he's paid a heavy price for um, his commitment there and I think that uh, you know that's obviously a big blow for him.
1: Well, there's loads of messages on social media for James. Um, Ellis says, devastating to see James McCarthy injured again. Um, a double leg break is just so unlucky, and he worked so hard today. Thoughts of everyone are with you. Um, Tony says, respect to Rondon for coming over to offer his sympathies to McCarthy. A class act, despite the unfortunate circumstances. And Gillan says, good luck to James McCarthy. Hopefully um, it's a speedy recovery. It was interesting, actually, wasn't it, Rondon's reaction? You realise that even in the heat of battle out there on a the football field... As he, as he says in his social media message, he calls him a colleague you know you're all very much pulling in the same direction when something like that happens
3: you, you just never want to see a fellow player injured, yeah and especially when you're part of the situation especially and it's the unfortunateness that surrounds it in terms of him just being there it's a, there's no um it's an innocent tackle he's yeah. gone there to stop a, a scoring opportunity as Samuel said there it's just unfortunate and sometimes there's nothing you can do about situations like that and yeah and you, you we saw his pick the pictures coming through immediately when it happened and he looked so distressed rondon and it, it's a shame really that someone else has to be part of that type of injury okay let's talk about another result today then chelsea won a game of football
2: and not on penalties scored four goals played very well um brighton had a few opportunities yeah. when you scored two uh two goals has hazard as I tend to keep saying, but when he's on form, he's a difference. Chelsea are obviously a very good team, but he's the magic, and he was unbelievable. The link-up, actually, between him and Willian, it's been a talking point of, of, of last season having two of those advanced midfield players together. It hasn't been happening for Chelsea so much. Today, they were both together, and going forward, they were, they were so dangerous.
1: What do you all make of Chelsea's pursuit of a so-called target man, whether it is uh, Peter Crouch, whether it's Andy Carroll from West Ham? This is a kind of era where we talk about football in such scientific terms, and now suddenly... Chelsea just after a target man, a big man
3: up front to to knock the ball along to. What, what do you all make of that? Well, like the two players that are being mentioned, Andy Carroll, um, I believe he's just been got injured as well, yeah. um, and Peter Crouch. Peter Crouch has been a great a great player over the years, but coming to the end of his career, and the, Chelsea have had Tammy Abraham's in in their ranks, who's a, a mm-hmm. tall, rangy player. Um, you'd you'd put him on the side of being a target man. So, maybe he fits that bill. Why is he being brought back from loan to be part of that? And I think that's the frustrating thing when you I think, for Chelsea fans that they see talent coming out of the youth system, being loaned out, and then going out and buying other players. You see Bashwai up front there. Is he better than Solanke, which they had potentially? Tammy Abrahams? I mean, if these guys are given the opportunity to play and the platform to play in a Chelsea shirt, could they do more than what Bashwai is doing? Who they went out and paid, what? Late 20s, early 30s,
2: 30-odd million. million.
3: That's a good point. What sort of message does it send to the Chelsea academy, to those youth players looking on?
2: Well, not great. I agree with what Rio's saying. I think there are players that are on loan. There are players maybe uh, who have been on the bench recently uh, that could do it. I I think it's a very short-term answer, Peter Crouch. No disrespect to Crouch. He would know that. Um, I, I don't quite see it for that reason. And Chelsea have got to be a bit careful because we're looking at Manchester City here, spent a fortune, loads of attacking options. Manchester United seemingly going to get Sanchez. Um, Chelsea have to make sure they're not left behind, isn't it? They? they bought Murata. Uh recently, he's not scoring, so all eyes are on. Uh, but I don't think it's knee jerk reaction, time, I think that the big moves going forward will come in the summer now.
0: I think they need somebody, I think they do need a centre forward. Mm. But as you said, I think these names that are just getting thrown out there at the moment, it's just pie in the sky stuff, isn't it? They need better quality, with all respect to uh, um, listen to the if lads. It feels like someone's getting to the end of the season almost, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: But does well, that not make you wonder where Conte's future is at? It's not like a manager who's looking to buy oh, players yeah, so. for the next two or three years, is no, it? No, it's just
2: astray- Listen, clubs that will work differently these mm. days. We know that it's more fluent. Managers move on a lot. So clubs make decisions with a longer view, maybe not necessarily with that manager yeah. always in mind. So who knows? That Again, a big summer for sure. They need to consolidate, come in the top four. You know, they've got maybe a run at the Champions League, make sure they're in the top four, and then in the summer, make that decision. Do we push on the game like yeah. other clubs are?
0: The main thing is keeping all the people like Hazard, he's, he's, mm. he's, that's the one. Yes, they'll have to bring people in, of course they will, but everybody in this league now are vulnerable to, to different sides, aren't they? Mm. Particularly the, a lot of the foreign players, like Hazard, for instance. They're vulnerable to a Barcelona, to a Real Madrid if they come in and it's paramount to keep them and keep them happy because they are the stars, just what I've seen Chelsea lots of times and then suddenly they look a different team when Hazard plays. And aren't you especially vulnerable to those players going if, indeed, City are buying the players
1: they are and if United are getting Sanchez and Mkhitaryan arrives at Arsenal and then Hazard, with no
3: disrespect at all, sees a Peter Crouch or Andy Carroll being linked? I think the unrest with a manager will filter down to the change rooms. I think if it's not steady at the top of the, uh, the building, the underneath, the foundations, will start to, to see cracks and that's what I'm fearful for for Chelsea. The sooner they get this man in the picture there on the sides, um, Conte. Sorted out. This kind of player would then be committed more to the, the cause at Chelsea. I'm not
0: interested about the necessarily the, the type of player they buy because they have in the recent years they bought sort of unfashionable mm. players to to the general public like Alonso. He was question marks. He turned into a genius. You know, Zappa Costa's come in and he, I know he, he's not playing all the yes. time, but he looks a decent player. And they're not names that would spring out. Yeah. As long as they do a job for Chelsea, they'll, you know they, they'll be fine. But it's just um, there just seems to just be this undercurrent where. Everybody's just expecting. Conte. If Conte says, right, I'm off at the end of the season, nobody would be surprised at the moment. He's just getting that little bit of solidity in. But, um, you know, he's done an incredible job, hasn't he? So you can't doubt him or any yeah. of his, the people that he
2: wants to bring in. Yeah, I think we mustn't forget that. And have two short term memories done a brilliant job last mm. year it was incredible. But this season's proved that when you're on fighting on all fronts, which Chelsea weren't last year, you need a bigger squad, more depth in terms mm. of quality. Mm. And he doesn't look. Like a particularly happy manager, does he, in pre- and post-match interviews? No, he doesn't. Doesn't he? It, I think it's pretty obvious that the recruitment in the summer wasn't what he wanted. He won the league with the club. I think he felt in a position of strength, quite rightly so, after what he'd done. Signed a new contract himself without extending it, but a new contract. And I think at that point, he, he was sort of saying, these are the players I want. And, and obviously, some of the picks didn't come off of him. And yeah. the frustration has been, you know, boiling under since mm. then. You can see it in his body language and, then, and in recent performances.
3: And it filters down to players or not? I'd say so, yeah. yeah. I think when you win the league, the next season is, is... The next window is vitally important. You need someone to come in and invigorate that that dressing room. You need someone to come in who's going to inspire that that just that, that dressing room for the next season coming. Something to lift the levels again. And they haven't done that in this window. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? Because
0: if they... I mean, I know they aren't, but... Playing devil's advocate, if they finish fifth this year and miss out on the Champions League spot, for instance, because they haven't strengthened, that's when the likes of Azard, you know, we're talking about Alexis Sanchez leaving because he's not being successful at, to a certain extent, winning the league and being in the Champions League for Arsenal this year. That can happen at any of these top six clubs now. You know, if Tottenham don't get get there, they'll be talking about Harry Kane, they'll be talking about Deli Alley. You know, if if it's Liverpool, they'll be talking about someone else leaving. If you need to get in the Champions League to please the star players in your team, because they all want to win and they all want to better themselves and they all want to test themselves against the best yeah. players in the world. So you have to be there all the time. And, you, you know, after them winning the league, they, need, they should have went out and made a big concerted effort to bring in a lot of quality. Very good. There's lots of three-word match
1: reports coming in. Holly says Sergio Herrguero. Frank's impressed. Daniel, uh, win's a win. Man United fan, Burnley nil. Man U 1. That's the key thing. Uh, Montreal top class, says Anshul. Um, and one from Joe here, who's a West Brom fan, just simply says, nice one, Cyril. Um, and across the Premier League today, across the country today, people were remembering Cyril Regis, who very sadly passed away from a heart attack at the age of just 59. There's an important message there. You broke down barriers. And this is just You know, worth remembering that Cyril was playing football in an era when life was so hard for black players and it wasn't just about playing football for him. It was about proving that black players could mix it with white players. It was about trying to defy the very clear racism that existed in the stands around the country at that time. And Sue Regis will quite rightly be remembered for the rest of all time as a fantastic footballer. I mean, I remember a goal he scored against Norwich Um, which I guess a lot of people have done, but trust me, his goal was very special indeed. And he was a remarkable footballer, a special man. And Dave Turton left us this message. Uh, He was a friend of Cyril. My dad took me up many
0: times to the Hawthorns to watch Cyril play. In my eyes, he was a legend. I was in a very privileged position years later to work as assistant community officer at West Brom and work alongside Cyril when he was reserve team coach. We developed an inner-city programme for young people all around the national campaign to kick racism out of Football, of which Cyril was a huge advocate. The man was a visionary. He was a legend. And he was the nicest man you would ever wish to meet.
1: Clear emotion there from Dave, as there was from so many people. And you know, Cyril is being remembered as a pioneer, but also we shouldn't forget just the most remarkable footballer. He was athletic, he was fast, he struck a ball like hardly anybody else. He was he was magic to watch and was an inspiration, wasn't
3: he? Yeah, he was, and I think the players of today, um, the the players of from the different cultures that are coming into this league, they owe him a lot, and the players of his generation because they took a lot the brunt of everything for us to be able to go out and play. Under better circumstances. And the intimidation that he would have been under, the, the, the environment that he was playing in was so much more yeah. testing for a character yeah. mentally and physically for than, than it is today. And the, the shots you saw there as a player, phenomenal player, what a mm-hmm. specimen. And
1: I, I suppose it's difficult for players, young players now coming into football, and they will hear us talk about the fact that Cyril Regis was a pioneer. Racism—the battle is nowhere near one. but it's almost hard now, isn't it, for players, young players, to understand just what life would have been like for players like Cyril. And he
2: wasn't the only one by any means, was he? No, I remember my dad played with Clyde Best uh, uh, at West Ham years ago, and he got terrible abuse. And I'm sure it was a really lonely place. Now we're used to it; it's very different. The, the makeup of dressing rooms are different. Uh, all for good, all for yeah. the good. And in those days, those those lads were probably feeling lonely on their own, taking abuse, not probably getting much support mechanisms. And now there are support mechanisms, hopefully. But they started with with people like Sir Regis, who seemed to me, not, not knowing him at all, a man of dignity as well. Do you know what I mean? Like he didn't. He was. He's just got through it by taking the upper hand. The upper calls. He you know. He, he was on the good ground and dealt with it brilliantly.
1: Okay, so there is progress, mm-hmm. but
2: we now have to have a
1: conversation about the fact that there are still incidents and issues all the time. Uh, Rian Brewster, who is a young yeah. lad who you've clearly coached, I know that he's seventeen years of age and he himself has experienced. Racial
0: mm-hmm. abuse just this season. Yeah, I was there at yeah, that I age. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a team from um, from from Russia. It was Spartak Moscow side. But I, I when I went to watch um, the under eighteen game or well, the under nineteen game in the Champions League uh, over in um, in Moscow, the crowds were, were were chanting at one of one of the Liverpool players. And then at the home game, it was a particular player um, was given shouted racist abuse at at, at rain. I, I think it was about three or four occasions. But, um, I mean, I think, I think there's a case ongoing and they're, they're investigating it, but whether they'll get anything because it was just a, what, you know, his words against the, um, the other player yeah. from, from Sparta at Moscow. But it's um, very disturbing. He was really upset after the game and trying to get his emotions in check after the game was, um, was hard because really? he, was so, he was so upset about it and angry mm. that it's still happening in this day and age. And um, you know, the Liverpool players and the Liverpool staff were, were disgusted by it all. And he's not the
1: only one. Tyrone Mings did a few interviews recently, um, the Bournemouth player, where he said it's not unusual, not even unusual for him to get the N-word mentioned to him on Twitter or on other social media platforms. Um, we're trying to fight this battle. How much better has it become, do you think, Rio? And how much further have we still got to go?
3: I said a while back that I was caught up in the bubble. I thought, oh, this country—we're doing so great with the racism situation—and then a couple of situations rear their heads, and you realise that it's just been put under the surface. Really, it's been put under the table, and and just left there. Really, not dealt with. And I think that the problem is—is is when to situate the awareness. Yes, I think we've we've had great strides with the awareness from different campaigns, and the FA have taken a, a part in that. But I think it's then the reaction to a case when it when it arises. I still think they're still we're, we're miles away. What from needs doing to be that. better, do you think? Well, I think the support for individual players. And listen, for instance, Mason Holgate situation with Firmino. I'm not I'm not saying Mason Holgate is right or wrong, or Firmino is right or wrong. We're, the powers that be will decide that. But I think once this case comes out in the open, people that kick it out, show racism, red card, the PFA, they need to be the first ones knocking on these boys' doors for support. Now I don't believe that's happened directly to these players to go into them. I've asked a few questions at both the clubs and these guys haven't had contact from these organisations. So that's where I think that it falls down because whether you're on the right side of this or the wrong side of this, you need support and help to improve mm. and to rebuild. And that doesn't happen. And these do, we wear T-shirts all of our career, one day a year for, for, for Kick It Out. But you're meant to be there when these situations come out and, and happen. And it's a young, these are young players. Mason Holgate's a young kid. Rians is a young kid mm. at, at Liverpool. They need that support immediately, not after a couple of days. And the problem I have, and we're going to have the guy on the the phone in a minute from Kick It Out, is that when this situation happens, a couple of days later, a week later, the FA then go to Mason Holgate and say that they're going to investigate or charge regarding a a tweet sent eight years ago. When he was 15. When he he was 15 years old. Now, what message does that send out to any kid that feels he's on the wrong end of a racist, racist remark and comes out and speaks, what message does that send to the next kid that happens to? I'm not going to come out and, yeah. and speak because they're going to dig deep into my past and find something out to, to assassinate my character. Mm-hmm. That's the message that's sending out. That's the worrying point for me. Who at the FA decided the timing was right to go on he- ahead and, and come with an investigation like that? At that time, with Mason Holgate. That's the worrying factor for me, and that's what makes people then go in underground and stay underground when these situations arise. Well, you mentioned Kick It Out there. Um, Troy Townsend joins us on the
1: phone right now. Um, Troy is the education manager for Kick It Out. Uh, Troy, thanks very much for joining us, first of all.
4: No worries at all, Jake. Good evening.
1: And you. I think we should start, really, by your reaction to what Rio has just said.
4: Well, there's, there's quite a lot, to be honest. I mean, where to start in terms of... I. I... Agree, agree implicitly about the situation when a young player or any player has been the subject of abuse um, and obviously we're talking of racial abuse at this moment in time and the, the processes that are in place for young players and the support of anyone you know, positive and negative in terms of what they've done um, I think for clarity what we need to, to understand is that uh, Kick It Out is not a sanctioning body, but um, so what we do we hi- highlight incidents that have happened either on the pitch or in the stands or, or wherever they may be, we report them to the FA. Um, if the FA choose to investigate, we are not allowed to contact the clubs. We are not allowed to contact the players. And this is in the professional side of the game. We're not allowed to contact anybody until the investigation is complete. So I can understand where you know it, it's deemed that we're not doing anything. But our initial point is to flag up the incidents and to make the, the governing body aware. Um, and then, like I said, they have to investigate it. Particularly in the case of Ryan Brewster, I've spent a lot of time at Liverpool, um, a lot of time, uh, not only supporting Rian, um, but delivering educational workshops right across the board through the academy and work closely with the academy staff. And just like Steve said, I'm, I'm well aware that Rian is a very, very emotional young man, and he's a very emotional young man because he's been the victim of racial abuse four times in the last 18 months. Um, Personally, I was worried for him. I was worried that the next one that was going to happen to him, what kind of impact it would have. Um, And unfortunately, he's been the victim again. Sorry to
3: cut you, Troy, but, but if you see that that's happening four times in 18 months, this kid's under great stress... Yes. How can kick it out not be fighting the FA to be able to be that first point of contact as an organisation well, that says that we are trying to kick racism out of football? How can you not should. be the people that fight to say, we need to be there to support this kid?
4: We do, Ria. We do. We do implicitly. I mean, a couple of these incidents have happened abroad. So the problem there is that it's under a completely different jurisdiction. And, uh, you know, I don't have to discuss with you guys what we feel about UEFA, but it's a completely different jurisdiction. So, you know... We are, we continue to all I can tell you is that we continue to challenge and we continue to say that we need to be able to support the players because I, I don't think the whole game gets the impact that, that incidents like that have on, on players in this day and age.
1: Ria, would you mind just talking us through, because you, your family went through an incident that happened on the pitch. It was involving your brother, but you were very involved in it. Just give us an idea of the stress and the pressure it puts on the player, the player's brother, the player's parents, yeah, well, the whole
3: family. My mum was in hospital. Not many, uh, no No one moving. because of that and Because of it. the the pressure, um, people coming to the house, windows being smashed, um, all because of this, this one incident. And it doesn't just affect the player. He'll have parents. He'll have brothers and sisters, cousins, friends. Who will all want to be that protective armour around that one player. But they need support, and, and that's why it's important that the FA, the PFA, kick it out. These organisations. Fight two for now to be that first port of call for these players because it isn't just the one player; it's the, it's, the, it's the network around them that is also affected and the stress it brings to a family. My brother really, probably, quite never recovered from that. Really, so it does have a, a long-lasting effect on on the individual, but again, mm-hmm. the people around them. It's really sad
0: that you can, you know, you can come out and say, you know, you've you've been um, victim of, a, of you know of, of racial abuse like that, and then be the victim again yeah. when people. I don't know. On social media, have a go, stop moaning, or whatever, or just because they they support another team, or as Rio said, come round to people's house and smash windows. When you're you're the victim, no wonder people want to keep it quiet because they, they must be terrified at times. The stress it puts on your family, mm. just because you've said you are the victim. I think it's absolutely disgusting.
1: I saw some online reports about players coming out and talking about racial abuse um, that they'd suffered a few years ago, Troy. And some of the responses online shocked me. People were coming at them saying, oh, you're coming out and talking about this now to get some money or to get some notoriety. There's still such a long way to go, isn't there, in this fight against racism? And perhaps... we can all talk about this, the rise of the internet, and it used to be people on the terraces, and I'm telling you now, if someone out there made a racist comment, they'd be escorted straight out of the stadium, but that doesn't stop the same person from going home and anonymously sending a message on social media, and it it almost feels like that's the new frontier that we all need to be fighting, doesn't it? it, The new
0: anonymity is is the, is
4: the internet. It's it's grown over the last couple of years and and the unfortunate nature is I don't think the social media organisations have have really taken it on board, Twitter, Facebook, you know, and all those kind of platforms that could really stamp it out immediately. Um, You know, people talk about freedom of speech and allow people just to say what they've got to say. But, you know, you know as well as I will, these things are harmful. They're hurt in Rio's right. They, you know, they don't just impact on the individual. There's a bigger picture here. They impact on on those that are close and, you know, no one wants to be able to read stuff like that. Um, But we're working with Twitter and we're working with Facebook now quite intensely to try and, you know, change that culture on social media as well. And I can only say that things, hopefully, you know, things are changing slowly, but, you know, there has to be a a collaborative kind of workforce there to make the game a better place, Um, not just obviously for playing, but as a viewing perspective and also for people that work in it as well.
1: And I know the social media sites are doing their bit. I think something we're all struggling in the studio to get our heads around Troy is that when a player is subjected to a racial, um, an incident of racial abuse, you as a supportive body are unable to contact the player. You can't ring him. You can't give him n- names and phone numbers of counsellors or other supportive bodies that can help him. You can't put an arm around him. You can't do any of that, No.
4: Well, that's the unfortunate nature of it at the moment. When you know there's incidents that are live at the moment, and and they're with the FA and they're being investigated. So basically, what they're saying is, is if we get involved, we we almost kind of compromise the situation. So until the the investigation is finalised, we are not allowed to contact the players, and we're not allowed to contact the club even just to talk about their welfare. Um, whether the PFA do, I'm, I'm not even sure that the PFA are allowed to either. Um, So that is something that is set in stone. It's in the rule book. And again, it's something that we're challenging to to, to make change because of the impact that we've seen, obviously, when these incidents happen for players. Um, But it's the nature of, of what happens at the moment in terms of the rules.
1: OK, well, it's certainly something that perhaps needs to be thought about again. Troy, thank you ever so much for your hard work sure. and for joining no us worries. on the phone. Thank you. Uh, really. I, I feel the last word on this should, should be with you, really. Um, you've seen the cases, you've been through it yourself as a family, you've heard what Troy has had to say.
3: What needs to be better? What do you think needs to happen? To... Well, well, firstly, I think that rule there is, is a shambles, really. I think that more than anything, these players need to support, like we've mentioned before. And for the FA to say, no, you've got to leave them, be, leave them to their own devices almost, Who is there to support these kids? Who is there to help them after the situation comes out to light and is in the public domain? Because there's so many different elements that can affect them that are going on. How are they going to continue to play football under that stress and that pressure? The clubs can only do so much. These guys, these these organisations are meant to be professionals within these situations. They should be allowed to actually go and help these guys. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, in the Mason, Holgate and Firmino situation, I'm not saying they should be going to one and not the other. They should be going to both to help and to, to try and rebuild. Mm. And I think we, you know, we forget exactly how young these players are. Mason Holgate's yeah. 21
1: years of age, Ryan Brewster's 17 years of age. You know, We're all parents in here. They're, they're children, effectively, aren't they? they, are. you know, they they're so, so, so young.
2: They're very tough for them. I think we're just talking about ignorance here across the board. Where it's racism. Some of the horrible things I've heard said uh, at, at football games, uh, online, if you flick down any top player in the country, things that get said. Um, that it's, it's, it's a modern society issue. We're talking about reactionary stuff here. But the problem is the ignorance in the first place, which is very hard to deal with.
0: OK. Yeah, and it needs to change worldwide, doesn't it? You know, the real Brewster things that I was talking about was two Champions League games, so that comes under the umbrella of UEFA. You know, one game was in, in, in Moscow. You know, kick it out, of course, can't do anything in Moscow. So there need to be a collaborative effort between f- football bodies worldwide because different countries react differently, don't they, and think it's, think
3: it's normal in some places. Yeah. And I think the punishment is a key thing as well. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. punishments at the moment are laughable. Around Europe, especially... People can say and do things and no, really not much is going to happen. You need to have punishments that make clubs, not just the players. Clubs think, whoa, we better make sure our boys are intact. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's also worth remembering when this sort of stuff is
1: happening on social media, it's not just a football problem. This is a problem in society. Oh, yeah, of course. Sadly, yeah, yeah. in the week that the great Cyril Regis passed away remains a problem, as it always has done. Uh, news coming in, Alexis Sanchez is having a medical tonight at Old Trafford out of that proposed move from Arsenal. It was only a few days ago on this very show. You were making a good case for him to join Manchester City. So, your reaction that he's
3: chosen the red side of Manchester? I'm delighted. Can't wait to see him uh, get out on Old Trafford. And hopefully he can be the turning point in Manchester United's fortunes in terms of winning some silverware this season. I wonder what the decisive factor was to choose United over City, Rio. Uh, money may have been yeah, a part
1: of that. <laughs> I think uh, it might um, have been. So, uh, the, re- the reported wage is £450,000 a week, which, again, brings players' wages into the surely spot. Surely it'll be
0: more than money, though.
3: He's going to he Man United man. He's not like he's going exactly. to China. No, of course. He was going to get paid. I think the issue for a lot of people, morning, he's going to get paid a I think the issue for morning. people
1: is whether he gave his word to Manchester
2: City yeah, before he decided to yeah, go to Manchester City, city it? I think that's
1: the big That's thing. more of a problem, isn't it? Do you think? That... He
2: City, but he has a good argument because it's not like he's turned down City to go to China like other players have yeah. <laughs> yeah. gone to you know, one of the biggest clubs. It's not the biggest in the world Manchester United.
1: But he still made a decision that feels to a lot of football fans predominantly based on the money he's earning away.
2: Also, if you look at it the other way, of course money's involved, but it's more of a challenge. If he yeah. comes here as a great team that he kind of maybe fits in around all these players here, Manchester United, there's no doubt that they, they need an uplift. They're 12 yeah, yeah, points yeah, yeah. behind. They need the uplift. He could be he could be that man. The
0: thing is, if he wanted more money, he'd just stay at Arsenal for the next three months. So it can't it can't just I'd hate to think it's just financial reasons. There has to be a mitigating circumstances about this deal and hopefully it'll come, out and we'll, it, it'll come out in the next couple of months. But it can't just be financial. Have we reached the point now, though, in football where players are simply earning too much money?
2: <laughs> Sorry, that one's straight to me. <laughs> um, Frank? No, yeah, uh, well, it, no, it's, well, it's supply and demand, isn't it? Let's get it right. The TV mm. deal, the latest one, changed everything. It changed the landscape. If, if clubs are willing to pay it, um, then that's it. You can't expect a player to turn it down. But I will say, if you are at that top, top end of, of earning the money, you have a responsibility to, to really produce the goods. Uh, I'm completely behind Messi, Ronaldo, earn what you want because they really produce and they're, and they're worth every penny. Um, but if you are talking about players that are maybe sitting on the bench, you're not really affecting things and winning things for their club and they're on stupid money, it's a slightly different argument. Yeah.
1: Of the top ten highest played sports stars in the world, not a single one of them plays in the Premier League. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about footballers' wages. There's less talk about um, pop stars. There's less talk about movie stars. Yeah. If you, if if this club, if Manchester City are generating hundreds of millions of pounds from the TV deals, from the fans coming through here, from the sponsors, the reason for all that money coming into the game is the players, right? So, isn't it right that the players are the ones that get that money? If yeah. not, it's
3: just going to be siphoned off well, well, by you're right. hedge funds and so you're CEOs right. and owners. You're completely right. But at the same time, um, players don't set the rules and the, the the benchmark for the prices. Like Frank said, this the the TV rights. The, the clubs are paying the players, but. Again, it strikes me that footballers always get hammered for this situation. Is it because it's a working-class working class sport? Is it because a lot of the people come from uh, backgrounds with not as much money, not less affluent backgrounds? Because I don't see golfers who've got huge, who earn huge money um, getting called out for, for, for the wages that they're earning. Um, motor racing drivers. Uh, These guys don't get called out for what they earn on on a weekly or yearly basis. The difference is just, it baffles me a little bit. Yeah, listen, a nurse, a fireman, a policeman, they deserve to earn more money than any sportsman on the planet. But it's just that we're lucky that we were born into an industry that pays so well. Okay,
1: lots of messages coming in from people at home. Ricky Main says, as much as I love football, what planet are you from thinking anyone deserves £450,000 a week for kicking a football around?
0: Yeah, but that's just an easy argument to say, isn't it? What do you feel when you hear someone say that? Well, I just think it's an easy argument to, to make. Everybody can say that. We all know that £450,000 a week is is too much money. We know that, but that's, that's, just, that's just what it is. Um, Patrick says, should there be a
1: salary cap for players under 21 in the UK? It wouldn't stop us attracting the best players in the world and would give young players more ambition. I can't help but think it would also encourage young players to move to lower league clubs to gain experience. I,
2: I agree with that. But with young players, what I was saying before, I think, was that they're producing the goods. So Sanchez at Manchester United, if it's a success, is the reason why Manchester United are a global success. Younger players need to develop and then they earn their top money for me when they are producing yeah. at the top. I don't think we mind the big players that really, you know, the players who excite us, the players mm-hmm. who score the goals. You know, as
0: Frank mentioned, the Ronaldo's, the Messies, you, you don't begrudge them anything because they're what we want to see there. That's what we're paying our money for. It's the other players who maybe you know, don't try Andrew says.
1: Stars of the show, yes, but the majority of the Premier League and Championship players are anything but stars. Possibly,
0: and yeah. uh, I'd go along
3: with a lot of that. Yeah, but I'd also, I think, that, that. Players, I think for young players, I think to protect the game and protect the young players, before you even make a first team appearance, there's young players getting 25, 30 mm. grand a week. Now, that's a problem because that affects their hunger. Yeah. to actually go out there and improve their game on a day-by-day basis, which we were always hungry to kind of get better, striving to get better contracts as kids, given slow, slow, small increments when yeah. we were younger. Well, now, before you kick a ball for the first team, you're almost well, you yeah, are a millionaire. You, you don't need to play, do you? That's yeah, the sad that's thing. That's the problem. You can
0: be rich um, and wealthy without even having to play the football, which is the problem,
1: really. Um, right, let's talk about unfulfilled potential then in football, and we're going to start by hearing, as always, from you lot.
3: This week we're looking at players that didn't fulfil their full potential, a
2: lad at Everton who clearly didn't, he's a Jack Rodwell, um, went to City for 16 million, only managed 85 appearances in five years at Everton. Uh, remember the game against United where he tore them apart beat him 3-1 at Goodison, he scored that absolutely brilliant solo goal, just unfortunate with injuries and um, as they say the rest is history.
1: Undoubtedly John Bostock um, made his debut at 15, Neil Warnock was prepared to build a team around him and uh, his head was turned and... Spurs basically ruined him, didn't give him the chance, wish he would have got a palace.
0: And you know, where is he now? Not many people know.
1: I've got to nominate Scott Parker for being Chelsea's unfulfilled potential. It feels harsh because I like him, and it also feels hypocritical because I'm on my way to Brighton now and I would love him to be in this team, but it just didn't happen. He scored on his debut, but that was about as good as it got. He then had the audacity to go and play for both Tottenham and West Ham and be fantastic for both of them. It's insult to injury, Scott. I'm sorry, but it has to be done. Also, Frank Lampard, I love you. I love you forever. The
2: first name, in fact, that springs to my mind is Raval Morrison. He was an absolute baller. He played in the youth team with the likes of Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard, Tom Thorpe, winning the youth cup. And for me, he was the most talented of the bunch. It's a shame Raval Morrison's off-the-pitch Personal issues prevented him from developing and fulfilling that potential he had, because we could have seen one of the best players to come through the academy at Manchester United. What do you guys think?
3: I agree with everything he said there about Ravel Morrison. I was there at the club when he was there. Probably the most gifted, most naturally gifted young kid I've ever seen. Really? So Alex Ferguson, I remember pulled me and Wazir over one day and said, "Look at this kid. He's the best kid. Better than you, Wayne, when you were a kid. Better than Rio. Better than Ryan Giggs when, you, when he was a kid. This is the best kid you'll ever see." And he was just he used to take liberties of players in training. Even the first team, you come over as a 16-year-old, and he should just take liberties play one touch, could play two touch, could take, go weave his way through a team through a team of players. And it's just like the guy said, he's, he's, he never fulfilled that. and he, why not He could never the concentration levels to be a top top player um, that you need to be on it every day. Um, he could never get that all marriage together. I mean, you, the team he played in, Jesse Lingard. Paul Pogba, Adnan Yanezai, a bit younger. Yeah. They looked at this guy like he, was a, like he was a superman, like he was a superhero because he was that good what he could do with a football. But if you haven't got it all, if you haven't got the mental capacity to deal with being a professional footballer... To be Did you try and help him? Yeah, of course. I tried to reach out to him. But sometimes some people, they're in a position where they distance themselves from people. Once they leave the football club and what they get up to outside the football club can affect, in the end, what they do there on, on the pitch. Because if you've got bad habits off the pitch, as a young kid, as an adult, it'll affect your performances on the pitch. All right, for you, Frank. Uh, Matt Parker has suggested, was Scott Canham the best ever player that Frank played
1: with
2: at West Ham? Scott Cannum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. He went on to Leighton like Orient. No, I mean... <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, Frank! That's the last I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Only joking. Only joking, Scott. Um, no, I... Um, Gal Kakuta at Chelsea. Yeah. FAU Cup final. I don't remember how many years ago. He was doing all sorts of things with the ball. Similar kind of stuff. And um, I, didn't, I didn't know Gal that well, personally. But it just felt like there was that penny dropping of exactly what's needed to, to step mm. up. And we can't take... That uh, awareness of that and that doing the hard stuff and the, and the mindset is out of the bundle of talent. Well, it is. It's everything. Yeah. So you can't just say, oh, they were so talented, but it was unfortunate.
1: But isn't football, though, really good at taking a talented or a not-so-talented player and making them better, but maybe less good at taking a talented player who isn't quite there either with his maturity or his mental approach to the game and improving that side of it?
2: Well, maybe not, but it, it all comes down to yourself. Right. You know, there are circumstances, injuries. I can't. We're talking about Jack Robwell. I think it's harsh because of injuries, and I think that's a, a mitigating circumstance. But in terms of that, it's all down to yourself. How you push yourself. I don't. And the minute you start looking around and making excuses and blaming a coach or this or something yeah. around me, that's, that's the end. Because you have to look at yourself.
3: Your f- talent only gets you so, so far. far yeah. Talent gets you here. Yeah. But to get beyond that and then stay at the top, you need hard work and a strong mentality, desire. You need to want it. You need, it needs to burn inside you. Every second thought, every next thought is about being a professional footballer, what it takes, living, breathing. You need to you need to have that. You need to be obsessed with it. Otherwise, you ain't going to make it. You ain't going to be at the top. You ain't going to stay there for for as long as you should do. There was a mention of injuries there. I mean, sometimes we
0: forget, don't we, just how much a player's career can be derailed by injuries. Well, yeah, that's exactly it. I was... Um... It it wouldn't be unfulfilled talent, um, but it was through injury. I always said it would would have been Rob Jones for Liverpool. He played. Graham Sooners brought him in from from Crewe, played for England. uh, I think eight times, and he was an incredible right back, but he just suffered from from injuries, and it just shows you at 27 when I I left Liverpool, um, and I left, you know, as as people know on a free contract and went abroad, and he was 27, the same age as me. And because of his injuries, he he retired. So it's just that 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 you know different sides of the coin. And um, you know he was he was would have been an incredible right back, and would have would have went and played for England. You know a hundred times if, yeah. if he if he stayed fit. Okay, and um, here's a, a bit of breaking news, I guess of sorts. This is
1: from David Ornstein. If you follow him on Twitter, he works for the BBC. Very reliable journalist. Um, his sources tend to be second to none. He is just. Um, shared the message. Manchester United midfielder Henrik Mikatarin agrees a move to Arsenal. No big surprise there in a deal that would see the Gunners for Alexis Sanchez go the opposite way. He's also said it's a straight swap. No money involved. Paperwork is now complete. Mkhitaryan will undergo a medical over the next two days. So a straight swap, no cash.
2: Who gets the best deal out of that? Manchester United. And, you know, no disrespect to Mikatarin, I think, in, in glimpses of him being a player, but if I look at Arsenal, is he what Arsenal need, really? I'm not sure. It's part of the deal, but is he what they need in terms of going forward? It's
3: just well, yeah. one small part of it. Yeah, Manchester United have got the best part of that deal. Goals, intensity. He brings a winning mentality to that football club. Consistency in terms of goals. He's always out there, always wants the ball, wants the responsibility of being a top player in the team. Just yeah. what Man United needs. Yeah.
0: Does he improve the team that starting 11, Alexis Sanchez? Definitely. So mm. Man United have definitely got part of the. Um, of the best deal.
1: Interesting. So there you go. That's the breaking news. It looks like a
0: straight swap
1: uh, between Alexis Sanchez and Henrik Mkhitaryan. and Rio's delighted with that. Uh, yeah. Right, next Saturday, FA Cup gets going for you once again. A triple header on the Saturday. Peterborough, Leicester, Newport, Tottenham and Liverpool, West Brom. And then on the Sunday, Chelsea against Newcastle United. You're delighted with that deal, aren't you?
3: Yeah, I can't wait to see it happen. I can't wait to see him get out of there. I mean, it's, I think what it does, it lifts the whole change room. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the difference. And I think it lifts them. We'll see See how good Manchester United can be now. Very good.
0: Seconds. <laughs> Cheeky!
3: <laughs> Ooh la la la, we've got
1: Paul Lambert. What a breath of fresh air that was. It was a very decent win against the poor Palace team, our first of 2018. It was good to see Arsenal doing well. It's finished at turf and
0: it's another loss I'm afraid. That's seven games now. Since
2: the Clarence won. Anthony Martial scoring here again. It was only 1 0 today, but it was just what Manchester United needed. Onwards and upwards, up to 7th Europe. Here we come.
4: Awful, awful result today. 1 1 against West Brom. Terrible performance. The football is absolutely abysmal under
0: Sam Halliday. That's
2: another point to add to it and another step towards safety, hopefully. So, come on, you baggies.
1: Get in. I am over the moon with that. It's been a long time coming, but Chelsea Football Club have their first win of 2018. Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. Next Saturday, it's back to FA Cup action. Unfortunately, there is no FA Cup tonight, so you'll have to wait until Saturday, the 3rd of February, when we'll be live at the Emirates for the coverage of Arsenal against Everton, which will be live on BT Sport from 5 pm. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please subscribe and leave a five star review. Bye for now.